Welcome to the Radically Embodied Love Podcast. Get ready to enter the portal of your cosmic heart so you feel bliss, joy, and union within. With each episode, you will learn practical ways to embody love in your life so it is felt and experienced. Co-hosted by Nasreen Barbeck and Jessica Falcon. Welcome to the Radically Embody Love podcast. I'm co-host Jessica Falcon with my co-host Nazarin Barbic, and we are very excited to have a special guest with us today, Rana Dietrich, who is the author of Rewriting Eve, Rescuing Women's Stories from the Bible and Reclaiming Them as Their Own. And we're really excited to have a conversation about the power of women's voices, regardless of whether or not you've ever even read the Bible. Rana is really brilliant at posing these stories from a very new lens, a very new perspective of recognizing the power of women. And so this conversation is really about learning and recognizing the power of these women's voices so that you can recognize the power of your own voice as well. And talking about the divine feminine and what that is and Rana's own journey from leaving a very religious background into studying feminist theology into putting together these stories so that they could be revised and refreshed and renewed and reclaimed. So I'm really excited to dig into this and to learn even more. Um, I actually found Rana on Instagram I think I just randomly came across somebody else mentioning your book. And I was like, rewriting Eve, I want to know about that because I share a passion for reclaiming women's stories. And my own book is called The Power of Eve. And so I immediately reached out to Rana and we connected over Zoom. We both live in North Carolina, <laughs> though several hours apart. And I was just so intrigued by the level of mm, intelligence isn't, isn't the right word. Um, the real taking in of the stories, the real depth of taking in these stories and embodying and living the words of women from the past in a very new way and then helping us see them in a new light. And so I hope you all enjoy this conversation and Rana, I'd love for you to start with how you went from a religious background to uncovering, discovering, and rewriting these women's stories and your why, why you chose mm. to do this. Yeah. So I knew this, I've known the stories probably from the womb. Um, they were read to me from as early as I can remember. Uh, and I grew up in the church, uh, did everything one might expect in the context of a person living in a world of organized religion. I went to, you know, Sunday school and vacation Bible school. I played the piano at church. I went to a Christian college. Uh, I was a missionary for a while. Uh, and then I married a pastor. So I pretty much got A's across the board in terms of all the things that one might expect 
expect in the sort of perfect religious life. Uh, and then I went to seminary uh, and I started seminary when I was 39, almost 40. My daughters were two and four, I think at the time, one and three, they were very little. Uh, and I never had the interest in being a pastor, which is what a master of divinity degree normally would move you toward. One in our house was more than enough. Uh, but it was the experience of really peeling back how I had come to believe what I did, that I started to see that there were things in there that I could easily let go of that were far more tradition than truth, that were very subjective and part of the particular denomination that I grew up in, uh, and studying all these other ways of thinking about the same text really started to give me some permission to consider it differently. And if I were to fast forward a little bit, I think all of those conversations, all of that reading, being in therapy and spiritual direction at the very same time really began to reveal so much to me that I just hadn't looked at, hadn't seen in my own life. Um, it was the, the, my marriage fell apart shortly after I uh, left, graduated from seminary. Uh, I left the church at the same time because obviously I couldn't attend the church that my now ex-husband pastored. Um, it was just a lot that happened in a relatively short period of time. That said, I think that my journey with the stories of these women was not condensed in that short period of time. They'd been with me all along. I had just only heard them as they'd been told from the pulpit, as they'd been interpreted to me from people that lived in the same world that I did. And in the context of seminary and learning original languages and taking feminist theology and all kinds of things, I began unraveling every bit of that. And when I made the decision to leave the marriage, the church, religion, I don't know that I knew it would be forever. It was just at the time, it felt like what I needed to do, but I deeply felt like it was almost this visceral experience that I, that I had to take the stories of the women with me. And I've sometimes said that it was as though they said to me, don't leave us behind. And I still feel that in a lot of ways, like I'm 20 years removed from the church, the marriage, organized religion, and I am still intimately connected to those stories of women, not in the context of the text or in the context of religion or the theology or the shame and the silence that's usually attached to them, but who they are as women, the voices that we've not heard because these stories have always been told by men, historically, understandably, okay. Uh, but there's so many more ways to consider them and to honor them. And I just have deeply, I've experienced, and then, yeah, let me say that first. What I've experienced personally is that as I've interacted with them, imagined their voice on my behalf, tried to picture their circumstances and what their wisdom would offer me, it has radically transformed me, my story. 
And so what I believe is that when we look at these stories that are so significantly a part of our world, whether we ever darkened the doors of a church or not, it's in the water that we swim in. These stories are deeply embedded in our psyche and our social structures and our politics and everything, especially in the Western world. Um, I, I just held on to the same hope and belief that if we could honor those stories, those women apart from the doctrine and dogma, that perhaps our stories would become bolder. We would have more permission. We would step into more power and strength and sovereignty because we'd realize that we're not alone. That there are all these women in our matrilineal line that we've either forgotten about or only heard about in such derogatory ways that we've thrown the baby out with the bathwater. And I just never wanted to do that. Um, so I haven't. That was a long answer. I hope I got to the point. <laughs> well, thank you, Rana. I just have to say, first of all, the courage that it took, I can just imagine, to leave the church, leave the marriage, because you were not resonating through your own wisdom and knowledge as you were going through your path. And I'm wondering, were there voices early on that when you were in the church and you're listening and um, thinking, could it be this way, this story? Was there a voice early on telling you, mm, is there more to this story? Or this is, you know, this is it, right? Yeah. As a woman. Yeah, I wish I could tell you that, yeah, mm -hmm. I heard that voice early on. Mm -hmm. I didn't. I did not. I I just swallowed it all, hook, line, mm -hmm. and stinker. Um, and I should say, I don't have a huge critique necessarily mm -hmm. of organized religion. I think there are some beautiful things that come out of those experiences and communities for us. But I think that predominantly the way that we hear any story, any doctrine in the context of the church is as absolute truth. Like we don't think to question it. I certainly didn't. And so it wasn't until I found myself in a place where I was given permission to start questioning that and actually listening to what I thought, what my experience was, what I needed, what I believed, what I was curious about, um, it, it wasn't until I started to ask those kinds of questions in my 40s that I was then able to look back at all of the times previous and say, wow, I have never asked these questions. I've, I've looked, and I think this is what happens often with organized religion, is that our um, understanding of authority and power, highly patriarchal here, is outside of us. And it was really through this whole experience that I started recognizing, wait a minute, no, all of the wisdom, all of the answers, all of the power is in me. It's from within that it comes forth. And that was directly contradictory to what I had heard and learned in the church, which of course was part of it dissolving <laughs> because I couldn't hold those two things intact at the same time. Now, that said, I love your question because I have talked to many women who've told me that even when they were very young, 
They were questioning the priest or the rabbi or the pastor. They were asking questions of their parents, like, how come this woman's story is told like this? Couldn't it have been this instead? You know, and I just never thought to ask those things. So when I started, it was like a house of cards. I mean, one flick and the whole thing started falling down. But none of that frightened me. Like, I just was so enraptured by that experience and so captivated by what I was beginning to discover and see that it, that it, it was just a lovely and empowering thing for me. There's so much beauty in what you just shared and so many different points. I'd love to touch on throughout our conversation, but the one that keeps coming in my head right now is asking questions. Because as you said, when we begin to question the stories we've been told, we start to look at them in a new way. We start to look at why they were written, how they were interpreted, who wrote them, and how they have as you said, affected our lives, because whether we agree with Christianity or not, whether we ascribe to organized religion or not, these are the stories that have shaped our lives, that have created our political systems for thousands of years, that have led to very specifically the suppression of women. And in order to rise as women, which there's this collective movement to do, right? To reclaim our voices, to reclaim our bodies. All three of us are very passionate about that, to reclaiming our own authority and our sovereignty. Yet we can't just rise without looking at the stories that we've been told and mm -hmm. reframing and using what has happened in the past as learning, as knowledge, as wisdom for where we choose to go in the future and why. And so what I love hearing is that questioning that you are really giving readers the opportunity to question their own lives and their own stories and their own way of being with themselves. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I just think... Um, yeah, I'm trying to think about how to start this. I think um, the thing that was going through my mind as you were articulating all of that is the idea of therapy. When we step into therapy, what we expect, and if it isn't what we expect, it's what we experience, is looking back at the stories that have shaped us. We go back and we tell formative stories from our family of origin, um, how we were parented, what our relationships were like with our siblings, why we made the decisions that we did, who we married. We, we look at all these stories in depth to begin to understand, oh, that, that story, the, way, the one that was told around my dinner table about my black sheep aunt, that shaped how I thought women were allowed to be in, in a family. I'm making this up, but as an example, like we start unpacking this in therapy, right? And I think the same thing is true the outside the context of therapy. We have to go back and look at the stories that have shaped our world, our understanding of who we are as women in the world. And most of us, when we do that, we have lots to critique. <laughs> there's lots when we start looking at this that is very upsetting 
really discombobulating. We feel lots of rage and lots of anger, understandably, because we've been oppressed and silenced and shamed and shut down and told we're too much and told we're not enough. And I would say all of that persists. That's not really gone anywhere. All of that is still present around us all the time. So this looking back at the stories that have shaped us and looking back at more archetypal stories, like I'm looking at, uh, is so critical because if we don't understand how we got to where we are, why we feel the way that we do, why we actually believe at times that we're too much or that we're not enough, we blame ourselves. We constantly look within and go, how can I change? What do I need to do different? What should I do better? How, like, right, looking outside ourselves in lots of ways for answers to these existential questions. When in truth, the questions to ask are, why was that story told to me that way? What if it had been told a different way? What if I could look at it critically, intelligently, semi-objectively now and wonder, wow, what could be different if only it had been told differently then, but even if it could be now. I mean, you and I have talked about this, right? Like the story of Eve. It doesn't surprise me that people don't want to talk about it at all, women in particular, because who wants to? Like, it's it's a horrible story in terms of how it's been told, what we've inherited from the telling of that story. But I think this is where we have opportunity to take permission to be curious to ask good questions and wonder why was it told that way? What was the agenda underneath that? What was the impact of that thousands of years ago, hundreds of years ago, yesterday afternoon? Like what, how has it, so these are questions that I think that as we ask them of our culture or of religious texts, or even in a therapeutic context, what we're doing is asking the questions of ourselves. Why do I go about my life in this way? Why do I believe these lies from the pit of hell that keep chattering away in my head? Why do I feel pulled toward this thing I should purchase on social media or that program that offers to change my whole life? Like, where does that come from? Those are the questions that I want to constantly be asking. And the way that I've begun to answer them for myself is by looking at all of the stories that came before that have built up this snowball of beliefs that we carry around with us and that are perpetuated in our culture around us every damn day. Um, yeah. So I just, I think curiosity is, how would I say this? especially in the context of these religious texts, these texts that sit in the in scripture. Um, it's, it's preferable often, again, to throw the baby out with the bathwater. Why would I go there? Why would I look at these? I don't want, you know, why do I want to have anything to do with them? My preference would be to say, what if we gave ourselves permission to be curious about them instead of pushing them away? What might we discover that will heal our stories, not to mention theirs? Their stories deserve to be healed, honored, valued, heard in ways that are redemptive and powerful and amazing. We deserve that. 
And I just don't know how we get there if we don't ask those questions of the stories that have already shaped us. Absolutely. And the fact that you brought up uh, therapy, because uh, it's interesting, because I haven't got a chance to read your book, and I hope I get a chance to do that. But I did watch the TED um, talk that you had, which was fantastic. I could see how passionate you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it actually, interestingly, I made me think, because yes, I do agree, we need to look at where we have been and how did we get here before we can change the future in a way. And it came to my mind that as I was listening to you, I'm like, oh yeah, she's talking about the same thing as in a way we're doing therapy. Like if you're familiar with timeline therapy, right? We take the client to the point that they can look back in a particular time with the new perspective where they are mm-hmm. now as the wisdom they have now look back and say, did it make sense that a story that I created and now it has affected me all this time with the belief that I created and now can I change it? And when they do and when they look at it and with the new fresh perspective and the wisdom that they have now and question it, literally everything changes to that moment and they create a different future. Yeah, and the past. And the past, yeah. Everything changes until that moment, which is the past, and they affect the future, which is, I think, something that you're suggesting we should do. We should go back and revisit these stories and say, does it really make sense in this, what Mm -hmm. we know? And Mm -hmm. uh, then create that empowering story that has been there, but we haven't seen it, the stories that, Mm -hmm. as you mentioned, which truly we all know how this story changes during time and who says it, right? And how we make it, uh, we, we might, extend some area and diminish the other area because uh, of what our own agenda in a way, right? And in the little story to big story, and then we becomes a norm and everybody is saying the story the way it's been told without questioning for a long time, right? Um, so I actually, curious. Outside the Adam and Eve, because I'm not very familiar with Bible and the stories, is there a particular story that you are you really feel like needs to be retold? And then what narrative and perspective do you have on that? So that question would be like a four-day workshop for me to answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, there's lots of stories. Obviously, right. I'm passionate about all of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, the book in the book, I retell ten of mm-hmm. them. There are more than fifty that I've been working with over the last twenty mm-hmm. years or so. Uh, but it it wouldn't matter which one of them I choose. Uh, I think that they all have such profound relevance and wisdom to offer. Um, you know, Eve is the is the easy and natural one to start with because no matter what our background is we know that story at least as it's been told and the point i keep making is that's just how it's been told that's not the story it's the telling that has caused the problem Uh, but i in the book i tell the story of hagar who is a slave who is profoundly marginalized who's abused who's harmed um 
and runs away into the desert and cries out because she's completely abandoned, completely alone, no resources. And when I first started thinking about her story, it was because I was having a conversation with another woman. And I said, I just feel like I'm out in the middle of the desert. I just feel like my whole life is parched. I feel like I can only see sand for as far as I look. There's nothing in my future. There's, I, can't, I can't see how anything's ever going to change. And she said to me, I, I would wonder what Hagar might have to say to you about that, Rama. And that had never occurred to me before never occurred to me and so I started imagining and for me this what I've done in the book and what I just do over and over again is I'm trying to merge both my imagination of what I think these women's stories actually have to say what the women themselves actually have to offer and I'm weaving that in with the way that those stories have most of the time been told and how that's looked in my life, right? So the fact that I find myself in the desert and it never occurs to me that anything other than something like divine intervention could possibly heal the situation I'm in, uh, that, that Hagar's story offers me something totally different. I have someone, it reminds me I'm not alone. I have someone who comes alongside me and says, I get that this is hell right now. I've been there. I'm with you. Here's what we're going to do. Um, and I could go through, you know, then I tell the story of the midwives, I tell the story of Queen Esther, of Queen Vashti, so many messages embedded in those stories that have us feeling objectified as women, or again, feeling like we're way too much, or we're definitely not enough. And I just think that they say over and over again, you are more than enough, and you are never too much, and you're not alone. It's so true that as we re-examine, right, these stories, what we're actually examining are the beliefs that created the stories, right? The beliefs at the foundation of these stories that were enforced upon women, often through very violent means. And so when we look at these beliefs at the root of these stories contained within the Bible, it also then requires us to look at, well, if I don't have that belief anymore, right, that being a woman is wrong, that my, I'm supposed to stay silent, that I'm not allowed to be seen, that I'm not as worthy of a man, all of these beliefs at the foundation of so many of these stories, it then asks us to say, well, what do I choose to believe instead? Mm -hmm. And what I love, too, about this rewriting of the stories is that it, what you're doing is you're going, well, those were the beliefs enforced on women of that time. But what would the women themselves say? Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. most women historically, at least according to my own research, didn't agree with this. It was enforced upon them. So we've always been kind of told, oh, well, this is just the way it is. This is the way it's always been. That's not historically accurate. And so looking at these women and saying, well, they didn't agree with that. What did they feel? What did they experience? What were they suffering from? What were they claiming in their lives? And 
it's so easy to overlook this. And the reason it's so easy to overlook is because of the belief at the foundation of the stories, which is women's voices don't matter. Mm -hmm. And the brilliance of rebringing them to light is saying, wait a minute, they do matter. And even though we don't know these women, Esther and all these other Hagar, we don't necessarily know these women in present day. We get to still honor their story and their voice because the stories of women do matter. And the stories of ancient women continue to matter because it carries wisdom, wisdom that we can still receive today. And that's that's one of the things that I so appreciate about hearing these 10 different stories of these 10 different women is that they each have their own wisdom. And so when you're, say for the reader who hasn't yet picked up the book, right? Hopefully they all will. <laughs> but if the reader hasn't yet picked up the book, is there a particular nugget of wisdom that you really want to convey to the readers of your book? I know there's a lot, but. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I think, you know, we've talked about it a lot, but I think underneath it all, what I really long for is for women to recognize a couple of things. One, the shoulders on which we stand, that we, that we really tangibly, viscerally feel that we're not alone. And if we don't have stories, we feel alone. We can't not. We need that lineage. We need to be connected to something bigger than ourselves. And I want to be connected to a whole line of women who are cheering me on, who see my my predicaments, my struggles, my challenges, and my celebrations, and cheer along with me and offer me perspective and wisdom in those places. I want that for other women. I think the other thing that I really long for is that women begin to see that in unraveling these stories and rewriting, retelling them, reimagining them in ways that are empowering and sovereign and beautiful and wise, that that's what we are called to do. That that's our life work is constantly unraveling these stories that we've been told and more importantly the ones we keep telling ourselves so that we can step into stories that are bold and beautiful and winsome and provocative and courageous um and i just as we as nas was saying i just don't know how we unhook those from each other i they to me they're one in the same um and I, you know, that's what I want with my clients. It's what I want for my daughters. It's what I want for my friends. Like, how do we look even closer at the story that is ours so that we can write the one and live the one that we desire and deserve? Absolutely. And I believe, you know, this is just not affecting us as women. I believe that uh, toxic masculinity coming from this story, not trusting their feminine energy, feminine side, and then going against what they might even feel, but they perceive as being feminine. And so is is something that is really, I feel, 
although we say it's like a feminist female, but I know, I think it's like a story needs to be rewritten, retold the way that is empowering to everybody, to mm -hmm. all of us. That, so, so we can live in a better world at the end of the day, because Absolutely. some of that, what's happening in the world now, the wars and all this, to me is masculine intoxicated with and having a war within themselves and don't have peace within themselves. And I think all of this is just getting that feminine and masculine energy balanced in all of us in a beautiful yeah. way so we can live our lives better yeah. than we have yeah. been doing. <laughs> mm -hmm. And the thing that I come back to, even as you're saying that, is this, this concept of curiosity. It's very difficult for us to move to new places of reconciliation, of peace, of permission, of freedom, if we aren't curious about what that would look like, mm -hmm. what we'd have to let go of, what we would need to hold on to, how we would even step into those conversations. We've lost so much curiosity that we just become judgmental, right? It's right or it's wrong, it's left or it's right, it's black or it's white. And it's curiosity and imagination in that middle space, regardless of gender, that allows us to start wondering how things could yet be. We so absolutely hundred percent agree. In just allowing ourselves to imagine it could be another way, and all mm -hmm. the past can show us that it will not get us to a different place if we continue this. Exactly. Yeah, thank you so exactly. much uh, for being here. And this conversation has been great. And if anything else you would like to add, we would love to hear. Mm. You know, I was just thinking about what you were saying about, you know, in order for things to change. And, and one of the um, things I talk about in the book, and I think I talked about it in my TED talk as well, is, you know, when we look at the story of Eve as an example, it's an old, old story. And yet, look at how that one woman's story has so radically shaped the world that we live in, right? Not for good, necessarily, mostly for ill, but that's because of one woman's story. And I keep thinking, well, if one woman's story told badly had that much power to change centuries of history all the way up to our day-to-day -day lives one woman's story told well would have the power to do the same so we sometimes feel like our story is too small too insignificant doesn't make enough of a difference and I think look this is like a few lines in a text that's thousands of years old that has turned civilization on its head we ought to be able to do the same by telling the stories in the best possible way. Exactly, because I think what you're saying, what I hear you saying is that women have been told they don't matter in these stories. And they've been told their voices don't matter, their their power is non-existent, that their bodies don't matter, that their heart doesn't matter. And what I hear you saying, and it's a reason to pick up the book, is that everyone matters. You matter, your story matters, your voice matters, your experience matters. And when we live in a world, right? 
in which we honor our own experience and we honor the experience of others and we share that wisdom and we commune in that way, heart to heart. It literally shifts our experience of life. It creates community and connection in a way that we can't get without sharing vulnerably and powerfully our own experience. That's what creates intimacy. And so I would love for our listeners to go away with that message. Like you matter, you matter, your experience matters, your voice matters. And to know that, to feel that because we've been indoctrinated to believe the opposite. Mm -hmm. And one of the beautiful things about your book is it helps to instill that message. And so where can readers uh, potential readers find your book, Rewriting Eve, and how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, thank you for asking. So the book's available online wherever you buy books. I always advocate for bookshop.org because it supports independent booksellers, and you can get it at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, etc. And you can go straight to my website, ronadietrich.com, uh, and there's a page there that's just about the book with lovely endorsements from lovely people. Um, as well as all the other stuff that I do in the world. So all of that's available on my website. And I would love it if people followed me on social, either on Facebook or Instagram, and subscribe to my writing, my Substack, where I write every week more of the same. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. We'll put the links below as well. Beautiful. Thank you both for having me. I love this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. It's been such a joy. And readers, check out the link below so that you can find the book Rewriting Eve and leave us your comments, any questions that you have, and we'll see you next time.